0: Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, March 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll learn more about why suicide remains a leading concern among armed forces veterans, plus an update on a school safety measure working its way through the Mississippi Legislature. Then we'll sit down with United Methodist Bishop James Swanson. He talks with us about his church's efforts to come together following a controversial LGBT rights vote.
1: I just hope people would would understand that we're more than this. When everybody is gone, we're still there. I mean, after Katrina, we were still repairing homes and repairing lives 10 and 12 years after us, and we're still doing that, and we work side by side, even sometimes when we disagree.
0: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On average, about 20 current or former service members die by suicide each day, according to a recent report from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. It's a statistic that is all too real to Kim Spillers of Terry. She met her husband, William, when they were both in the military. The couple was married for almost nine years before William died by suicide in 2007. Kim Spillers shares her story with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. He
2: was a father. And he was my husband, a son, and a good friend. He was a bond, full of life. He never met a stranger. He taught me to, to love and always be careful how you handle people hard. He was that kind of person.
3: I understand you both were in the Army National Guard, correct? I met him probably the
2: second or third year in the military, we were friends for years. We dated for probably six or seven years before we were married. We married July 17th of 98. I lost him February 17th of 2007. I, I loved him all my adult life. <laughs> all my adult life was my husband.
3: You said you, you lost him. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? February the seventeenth
2: of two thousand seven was a Friday and I I spoke to my husband prior to and knowing my husband I could hear I could hear the hopelessness in his voice. This part is hard. <laughs> I'm not in a place I have not gotten to a place where I can talk about that. Do you all have children together? We have a son, an older son, Daniel Spillers, who lives in New York. He was a senior in high school at the time. We had a daughter, Haley, and a, the baby was Miles Cameron. And they're all grown now.
3: What are you all doing to keep your husband's memory alive? Well, in
2: our family, the talk of suicide or owning the fact that you lost someone to suicide is pretty taboo. You don't talk about it. I've taken a different approach with my kids. Initially, I did not tell my kids what had happened because they were so young. But as they grew, I gave them more and more of the truth of the story. And we talk about it. When they want to talk about it, I'm here. We say the word, we accept it, and we deal with it. I explain to my kids that it's an illness, just as high blood pressure or diabetes is. If it goes untreated, it can kill you. need to deal with it. I encourage them to talk about their feelings. Don't hold anything in. And know that they're loved. But we all know that knowing that you're loved, sometimes that isn't enough. That you have to have help professional help, counseling. Some of us need medicine, and it's okay. Take the stigma away from this and call it what it is. That's the approach that I took with my kids, not to sweeping it under the rug and, and acting as if it doesn't exist, putting it in the back room. It doesn't get to come out when companies are around. It doesn't go away. Deal with
4: it.
3: Do you have any advice for people who have, may have lost a loved one who was a veteran to suicide, who might have died by suicide? Do you have any advice for them?
2: It makes no difference how you lose a person. They're still gone. It's still a loss. Mourn, mourn whoever you've lost. Celebrate their life and learn from their life. I didn't get caught up in how my husband died. My only thing was he was gone. And whether he left here through suicide, murder, or a lifelong illness, death is death, and they're not coming back. I just wish that suicide with soldiers, anybody that's dealing with trauma, is talked about more because it happens. They need to know that there is help out there and there's people
0: who care Kim Spiller shared the story of her late husband, William. Dr. Dinesh Middle is Associate Chief of Staff for Mental Health at the Sunny Montgomery VA Medical Center in Jackson. He tells MPB's Jasmine Ellis about why suicide is such a concern among veterans.
5: The suicide rates have been going up in the last century and more so in the last several decades for the entire population. So suicide is a public health problem. Unfortunately, the rates of suicide among veterans have been going up at a far faster rate. And suicide is a complex uh, condition. And uh, there are multiple factors, multiple interrelated intersecting factors. There are social issues. There are issues related to their particular effort in the military where They are participating in various combat regions. Uh, Not only that they're participating, but the apprehension about being deployed, while they are all eager to serve the country, it does cause. Some anxiety and stress. So there, and persistent stress in particular is something that makes them vulnerable.
3: There's also a 2016 Mississippi veteran suicide data sheet that was also recently released, and it says out of 373 Mississippians committing suicide, 50 of them are veterans. What are you seeing regarding Mississippi veterans and? And their mental health?
5: I think uh, what we do is to reach out to the veterans in general to make sure that they know the resources that are available at the VA hospital and the community-based outpatient clinics, which are VA clinics in rural areas, so that any veteran who is having symptoms that are potentially leading to suicide, that they can access the resources that are available. So outreach is important. For those veterans who come to the VA, we have a process to screen them. We have screenings available in primary care settings, as well as in mental health clinics. And routinely, we also ask about suicide, if they're having, patients is having thoughts of suicide. If We find presence of psychiatric conditions such as depression, uh, substance use disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder. Then we have a whole range of uh, interventions such as first developing the safety plan so that veteran has resources if they feel overwhelmed. So treating the veteran as a whole is the approach that we are focusing on at this facility. One veteran taking their own lives is one too many is the principle that we operate by. Another thing that guides us in assessing the risk of suicide is the demographics, uh, There, for example, age. Older veterans with 55 years of age or older are at much higher risk. Caucasian males are at a higher risk than other racial groups.
3: What are some of the challenges that veterans face that might lead them to commit suicide?
5: So there are multiple factors, and s- such as There can be social factors, psychological factors. Social factors could be some losses, issues with their relationships, issues associated with employment. Psychological factors could be engaging in behaviors such as substance abuse, which increases the risk of impulsive suicidal behaviors, presence of depressive symptoms and other psychiatric disorders.
3: You mentioned veterans can reach out to their support systems, their loved ones, their family, their, their friends to help them through this process. What advice can you give to loved ones who may see that their loved one, who's a veteran, might be going through some mental health challenges? What advice can you give them to support them?
5: I think the most important thing is to not ignore it, not challenge it, but to validate it. If somebody is reporting some issues, it is not a good idea to say, you're gonna get better in time. Instead, a response like, I can only imagine what you might be feeling, and then connecting them with the resources would be better. Oftentimes, people mistake depression as laziness and weakness. It's not. It is a real biological condition with very strong and robust treatment available. Dr. Dinesh
3: Middle is a psychiatrist and associate chief of staff for mental health at the G.V. Sunny Montgomery VA Medical Center. Dr. Middle, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank
5: you very much. My pleasure.
0: The VA says veterans needing help can call the Veterans Crisis Line 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Press 1 to get help. Coming up, an update on a school safety measure working its way through the Mississippi legislature. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Easter is so late this year, which means you'll have lots of time between now and April 21st because of what you're giving up for Lent, all that chocolate you're not eating and hoots you're not drinking and tweets you're not sending. Time to try something new, like check out some live music or take a cooking class or go ice skating, yes, ice skating in Mississippi through Easter, all on the MPB events calendar at mpbonline.org because it's not about what you're giving up, it's about what you're getting in place of it at MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi legislators in the Senate take issue with some requirements in a school safety bill passed by House lawmakers. MPB's Desiree Frazier reports.
4: Mississippi Senators peppered their colleague, Republican Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula, with questions about House Bill 1283. House lawmakers passed the Mississippi School Safety Act with an amendment requiring age-appropriate mental health instruction for students K-5. through The bill emphasizes helping children cope with stress and anxiety. Republican Senator Michael Watson of Pascagoula noted the bill doesn't explain exactly what children will be taught.
6: What's age appropriate for your child? I may not feel comfortable at that age appropriate for my child. And again, this curriculum piece is important. You say evidence-based, but they're not telling me which curriculum they're going to choose.
4: Wiggins says the State Departments of Education and Mental Health will work with six school districts and three pilot programs to develop the curriculum. He says mental health will be added to an existing health education program already in place for suicide prevention. Wiggins added there are objectives in the bill, such as destigmatizing mental health, which will be included. He says people can share their thoughts on the program.
2: Parents, teachers, community members can all get with their local school, dis- school boards, go meet with them and say, this is what I want or I don't want.
4: Wiggins says federal grants are paying for the program. The Governor's School Task Force recommendations, such as active shooter training within the first 60 days of school, are included. The bill provides $2 million for school resource officers, and analysts will monitor threats on social media. Three amendments were added. One would require parents approve of any behavioral health screenings. The bill returns to the House for review. Desiree Frazier, MPB News
0: legislative issues will be discussed in your phone calls as well on At Issue on Think Radio coming up at nine o'clock. We'll sit down with United Methodist Bishop James Swanson next. He talks with us about his church's efforts to come together following a controversial LGBT rights vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: A-N-I-M-O-S-I-T-Y, animosity.
0: Furlong. Conjecture.
3: Toboggan. Bargain. Don't miss the annual statewide spelling bee live on Tuesday, March nineteenth at ten a.m. exclusively on MPB Television.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's United Methodists are still trying to find ways to respond following a controversial vote some members see as anti-LGBT. At a specially called session, United Methodist General Conference, the international body voted to confirm its existing policies against the ordination of LGBT pastors and against the consecration of same-sex marriages. Bishop James Swanson heads the United Methodist Church here in Mississippi. He's quick to point out the vote does not dismiss LGBT people from membership in the church. He also says the measure still has to go through a United Methodist Church review process before taking effect. Bishop Swanson spoke with MPB's Ezra Wall. What it
1: really means is that uh, as of now, it is not what we would call church law. It really will not be church law uh, until two things happen. One is what we call the Judicial Council, which is akin to uh, the United States Supreme Court for the United Methodist Church. They will have to declare the petitions related to the traditional plan to be constitutional according to the United Methodist Constitution. And once that occurs, then still... The plan does not go into effect until January 1, 2020, for the United States. And the reason why I say that is because we've also given more time for what we call the central conferences, and those are the conferences or the regional areas outside of the U.S. And those those conferences will have until 2023 to implement the changes that the traditional plan calls for in their areas.
6: So separate from what people might have read or heard reported uh, widely in the news or or elsewhere, what do you want people in Mississippi who might not be Methodists mm-hmm. to know about the U- United Methodist Church? Do you feel like your church is right now like a fractured body or is it a healing body or is it largely the same as it was?
1: I think right now there are some hurt feelings. And what people need to know about the hurt feelings, the hurt feelings are not just people who – feel that somehow they did not prevail or get what they might have desired. But there are hurt feelings throughout the whole United Methodist Church because we we love each other, even when we disagree. And because any part of the body is hurting, the whole body hurts. And what I really want folk to understand is that we are a family, a very diverse family, unlike uh, maybe some other churches or denominations, we're really, really diverse uh, in culture, we're diverse in geographic location in that we're not just here in the United States, but we are also located in uh, various countries and nations in Africa, uh, various countries and nations in Europe and in the Philippines. And and even within that, you still have all kinds of cultural diversity. And as a result of that, we're trying to learn how to live together as one family.
6: It's it's interesting this whole issue uh, surrounding the rights of uh, LGBTQ people in any church body, because a lot of church doctrines have to do with behavior, and, and this mm-hmm. particular one, a lot of, of a lot of people see it as having more to do with identity than mm-hmm. with than with behavior. So, like as LGBTQ people in the Methodist Church. Reflect a little bit on people from that perspective of life who, who might look at you and say that they might feel rejected by this or that they feel a move like this is – I've heard the term hateful even, mm. even thrown
1: around. Well, first of all, you need to understand what we actually voted on, and I don't think people understand that. We never voted on that LGBTQIA persons could not be members of our church. That's not what we voted on, even though that's being said. Uh, basically, this was around two issues in our church. One was ordination and the other one was around uh, same-sex marriages, whether or not our clergy could perform same-sex marriages and whether or not persons who self-identify themselves as a part of the LGBTQIA community, whether or not they could uh, be ordained. But you also have to understand that persons who identify um, themselves as LGBTQIA persons as long as they are not in a same-sex marriage. Uh, that sort can still become clergy within the framework of our church. So it's not the fact uh, that um, everyone who's LGBTQIA would not be. So I want people to understand that. So it's not a matter of of not being um, welcome because, in a sense, many, in fact, in fact, many of the persons who were there uh, who were delegates um, to the General Conference were from the LGBTQIA community
6: still there's a feeling of of you know if they want to be see their relationships and their marriages sanctified in the same way that other people do through i mean there's there's still a feeling of at least in that aspect their church kind of not fully embracing every part of their life?
1: Sure. And, and I can understand that. I also need to help you to understand how we operate as a church, and that is that we are very democratic uh, in our form of governance. Um, we have what we call representatives, or we really call them delegates, who go and they vote, and we believe in a democratic form of governance. And around this issue, um, the, um, uh, the democratic uh, process was followed, and, and that process being followed, uh, those were the results that came forth. Um, now, whether or not we will continue to talk about it, yes, we will, because part of our um, of our form of governance is that no general conference action that we take can uh, is final in a true sense that um, what we always say is that the action of a general conference cannot be bound by the action of another general conference. And so the, the issue will continue to be debated. Um, and so in the sense of the hurt and pain around that, um, we just need to know that that's, that's our democratic form of governance and the way in which we operate. It's like in any family. There are times when uh, you get what you want and sometimes you don't. It is the price of being in community.
6: At these conferences, what I understand about it is that delegates vote and bishops don't Oh, no. Vote.
1: We don't have vote nor voice.
6: So you, you haven't expressed... Whether you would have preferred one plan or the other, no. you didn't come in there no. supporting whichever no. whichever no. one.
1: No, some bishops chose to do that. I chose not to do that, and one of the reasons I chose not to do that is because I think my role is the role of a healer, and I I sort of knew that it was going to come to this. Um, in a sense, not not the outcome, but whatever the outcome is going to be, there's going to be a lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain, and I want it to be available to everybody who was United Methodist in the state of Mississippi and beyond, because we bishops are not just bishops of our state, but we're bishops of the whole church. So I want to be available to everybody. And when you have a hard, fast uh, position, you can sometimes disqualify yourself to be a healing force and a pastor and a leader. Uh, and I want it to be available to everybody for people to trust me, to be able to talk to me in the midst of this. And so that's the choice I made. Speaking
6: of that pastoral role and that leadership role and bringing people together and hearing from various kinds of people, what are you doing now to reach out to your church here in Mississippi? Well,
1: I'm glad you asked that. Currently, I'm in the midst of uh, 11 stops that I'm making. I've made four of those stops. Uh, and we have what we call 11 districts in, the, in Mississippi. And so I'm going to those 11 locations, 11 locations that we've identified across the state uh, to explain, first of all, what many of our people want to know is actual facts. What really happened? But because people are doing what happens even in the political world, and it is everybody spinning it one way or the other, and so we're going to give them actual facts of what happened, uh, what the legislation really was, and what we actually voted on. Uh, And then secondly, we we're going to do the second piece, which is to receive information from them as to how can we be helpful to you uh, locally in your context to help you through your healing process and how you can continue to be the church.
6: If wants to attend one of these uh, sessions and, and is interested in uh, in giving you their input and, and receiving the information that you have, where can they find
1: Oh, they can that find that on our website uh, for the Mississippi Conference at uh, www.mississippi-umc.org.
6: So it's mississippi-umc.org.
1: Right. I, I just hope people would, would, would understand that we're more than this. You take, for instance, I mean, uh, Mississippi is a state that experiences so many disasters, and we are very much in the forefront of disaster relief. In fact, when everybody is gone, we're still there. I mean, after Katrina, we were still repairing homes and repairing lives 10 and 12 years after us, and we're still doing that. And we work side by side, even sometimes when we disagree. So I hope people will see that we're more than just uh, our fussing about um, this particular issue.
6: All right. Bishop James Swanson is uh, is, uh, the bishop over the Mississippi Conference of the United Methodist Church. Bishop Swanson, thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: Join us tomorrow at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.